Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're talking about a number of things, and we're going to diverse a little bit in our discussion of diverse lusts. We're in the 11th part of that at this time, and so we've already got 10 hours under our belt doing different broadcasts over the net and uh, over regular radio stations and recordings here trying to cover this topic of diverse lusts, which when you use the word lust, everybody thinks of sexual. And, of course, uh, those of you who have been following along know that it doesn't really have anything to do with necessarily sexual lust. It's diverse desires. It's varied desires. You have lots of different desires. Everybody has lots of different desires. Some people want peace. Some people want security. Some people want money because they think it brings peace and security and happiness and and pleasure of all sorts and all kinds, and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, purient or sexual lust necessarily at all. It had to do with what you want. It has to do with your desire. So anyway, we went through a lot of different things, and we, we approached uh, this using a series of exchanges that actually took place at one day on Facebook, or actually probably a couple of days on Facebook, with somebody who has been studying the Bible intensely for many years, and uh, but they're going to certain preachers and ministers that say, you know, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you're saved. And that sounds really good, and it's actually true as far as verbiage is concerned, depending on what you mean by all those words, like the word belief. What is belief? Is it just an idea? Is it a conviction? You see, now, if you were to go into a court of law and you said you believed something, the judge would test that belief, likely test, test that belief, many have, to find out if this is just something you think or if this is something that actually is a conviction. And what's the difference between a conviction and something you think? A conviction means that this is enmeshed in the very being of the individual. It's a be leaving it's it's you have to go in this particular direction you you are functioning from this concept this idea this expression of a principle or precept it's not just something you think casually think or accept or say real loud or uh, whatever it's something that actually alters your behavior in a way that you are compelled to go in a particular way. And, of course, the early Christians, their beliefs, they were so compelled that they actually died for them. I gave examples before, and a lot of people don't understand how this works, is that Christians were often well-liked by their neighbors because they were really nice people. Uh, They were caring people. They were moral people. They were upright. They helped everybody they could. Uh, They were like the Good Samaritan times ten. And... They were popular, but there was a certain element in society that was very prejudicial towards the Christians, and and they were often persecuted by 
some neighbors as much as they were persecuted officially by the government. You know, like when 3,000 Christians were killed during the riots after the burning of Rome, this was not official. This was just mob violence against Christians. And 3,000 Christians were killed. Their bodies were gathered up by a couple of sisters who were the nieces of Paul the Apostle. And they were washed and buried, and they built a chapel over it. And that chapel still exists. It's the oldest church building built by Christians in history. And it's still sitting there in Rome. And their bodies are buried underneath that. And that, those Christians were killed not by official proclamation, but by just riots that took place. Because, you know, thousands of people were homeless. uh, People burned to death. People were trying to put out fires, and, there were, and we've talked about this in other recordings, actual accounts of the times where people who were seeing all this taking place were saying that men were going around saying, we have authority to do this, and they were actually spreading the fire. And they were actually uh, even throwing people back towards the fire, and these brutes that were out there doing this, and the rumors were rampant that, Somebody was to blame. Somebody actually was causing this fire and making this fire spread to burn up these almost tenement-like structures that were in Rome. The city had grown and people had, you know, bought land and and people with no building codes had just made kind of a shambles of much of the city. And that was the part that was being set on fire and burned up. And there was already on the drawing board plans to rebuild this in a much more picturesque fashion. They were trying to get rid of the riffraff. I actually see the same thing going on today in America in some of the cities. Uh, it goes on in Ashland. It goes on in Monterey. We've seen examples where they're passing laws where it's against the law to be poor. It's against the law to be on hard times. And you can be arrested for falling asleep in the park. Used to, people would go down to the park and lay down under the shade of a tree and relax and go to sleep. Now you can be arrested for doing that. Just in the purpose of these laws, you sleep in your car. It's against the, it's the law. It's a crime. It's a $500 fine. And so if you're, you know, we used to be told to pull over and take a nap if you're getting drowsy and sleeping. But now if you pull over and do that, you could be arrested. So... Because it's against the law to be sleepy in your car. so And these laws are made to get rid of the poor uh, because they're inconvenient. And so anyway, those laws were being made in Rome, but it was just, it was a congested mess. And so it was very clear that there was a plan to burn down Rome. And then the political fallout was beginning to become directed toward Nero. And so they sent gossipers out to direct the blame towards Christians, and the mob was just mob violence. They hadn't hated the Christians at that time, but because of this horrendous act, which was really a false flag, and they simply used the Christians as a scapegoat, and thousands of them were killed. And they did it by actually burning them and things like that. Official persecution of the Christians didn't come till later in a mass, But there were elements of that persecution throughout the court systems of Rome. And you can actually read some of the court cases. And on this page, Diverse Lus, I now have Christian Conflict link 
to an article that gives you a very good example of this persecution of Christians and why they were being persecuted. And the value it has today is that you can see what the Christians were doing. Why, what, what was the complaint against these Christians? And it'll give you an insight into what Christianity used to be after those who studied at the foot of Christ himself were doing. Because it's nothing like what you see being done in your churches. And I'm going to get into a new series, Confronting the Beast. And we're going to be looking at some prophecies and so-called prophets and church leaders who are pointing to certain things and, and guiding the people. At, and some of these are evangelists, televangelists. And we're going to really, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to really kind of knock them off their pedestal. And we may even name names. <laughs> so, or maybe I'll keep it cryptic enough so you can you can go and do your homework. Because I really don't want to attack the individual and get into an attack mode of individuals. I want to awaken you to the fact that most of your ministers and preachers out there are misleading you. Now, they're doing it for a number of reasons. Some went to seminaries that misled them. Some really don't have Christ in their heart at all and really have more in common with the Pharisees. And if Christ was here, they would want him crucified right away. And if I preach Christ the way Christ was preached by Paul, the real way, not the way that most of these people imagine, they will want to crucify me too. And it just goes with the territory. I, I'm, I cannot be intimidated by this. I cannot fear this. They will want to use government to come against me and to persecute me and they will growl and snarl and they'll do things behind the scenes to try you know they, they can't quite burn me at the stake anymore but they have their ways and their means and they're going to hate me because i challenge their belief to find out is this really a belief or a conviction or is this just their vain imagination and the reality is, you can't know the gospel of Jesus Christ by reading the Bible. That's not enough. You will not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ by reading the Bible. I don't care what translation, it was just a discussion, which translation is the best. And, you know, I couldn't tell you. I use the King James just simply because of consistency. That uh, And because of the availability and because of the concordances that are attached to it and the ability, because of all the stuff that's written, like these concordances, to allow you to uh, study the King James Version. And like I say, for consistency. It, would, it just didn't seem right if I jump around and use lots of different translations all the time. And so, therefore, I use that same one. Not because it's the best, because it's really not. I, I was just discussing with somebody about the fact that people talk about the Hebrew language being such a concise and exact language that it was so precise and all this kind of stuff. Well, evidently, the translators of the King James Bible didn't know that because they commonly translate single Hebrew words 5, 10, 15 or more different ways. Some of those ways are completely different 
Now, it seems like they have nothing in common with other words that they translate the same Hebrew word into. There is a clever thing built into the Hebrew language because it was a cross between the standard pictograms and ideograms that you see in like Chinese and Japanese and, and even in hieroglyphics and what we see as an alphabet language because the letters actually had meaning just like the ideograms have meaning and words are often a combination of ideograms combination of letters produced words and those letters had meaning you don't have that in Greek some of it's carried over but it's not in the language itself by the time they were writing Greek, they were simply writing phonetic sounds. And the only value the letters really have is the phonetic sounds. And some of those sounds had meanings because they represent words. And so Greek was creating words by compositing words together. But Hebrew was created by bringing letters with meanings together. And it's a very metaphoric language, so almost every word in the Hebrew language has two meanings, as far as an abstract meaning and a more fundamental concrete meaning, such as a, a reins of a horse is also means the reins of control of something. A liver also means an honorarium. A rump also has to do with a gift, specifically from God. And now, why would you do that? Why would the romp be a gift from God? Well, everybody knows who's done any butchering. The best cuts are in the of most animals are in the romp. So that's that's the prize cuts that you want. You know, if you're cutting off uh, pieces of meat off the neck and giving to the poor, but you're keeping the romp, then you you have you don't have a proper Israelite, Levite, Mosaic approach to sharing the sacrifice. You're giving the poor cuts <laughs> to somebody else. And so they had these ideas and concepts built into their language and their culture. And if you don't know them, when you go back to read the language, you can, you can go all over the place because the language is not so precise. It's full of metaphors. It's full of idioms. And if you don't know those, and you try to translate it, or if you do know them, and you have an agenda, when you translate the Bible, you're going to come up with all kinds of crazy ideas and notions. And one of the amazing things is right at the time of Christ, there were quite a few different groups that were translating the Bible and looking at the Torah, which was the part of the Bible that they had at that time. They hadn't developed the New Testament yet. And they were coming to completely different conclusions in what they were reading. I mean, it was like night and day. And they were both looking at the same Torah. And they were both fairly popular. One group was popular with one kind of citizen of Judea. And the other one was very popular with another kind of citizen of Judea. And there was this different factions coming to completely different conclusions. And one group supported Herod and the things that he was doing and setting up, which was a Corbin, a system of Corbin that made the word of God to none effect. And the other one was supporting ideas that we see Christ repeating. And most people don't know that, and they're still today. Now, if you go to your modern Christian today, they'll say, oh, Christ had nothing to do with this other group. 
it's just coincidence that they were both saying many of the same exact things. He really had nothing to do with them. And then some groups will, you know, theologians will actually admit, well, it appears that John the Baptist did have a lot to do with that group. <laughs> and probably most of the Christians were coming, you know, early Christians were coming out of that group. But the reality is, is that you can read the same exact print and come to a completely different conclusion based on what you've been taught, based on what you already think, and based on where you want to go with the scripture that you're reading, your personal prejudice, your private prejudice. And, of course, we know the Bible is not to be given to private interpretation. So if it's not given to private interpretation, that means that only the government can decide? Does that mean that only preachers can decide? Does that only mean that theologians with eight years of theological training can decide what these things mean? It means no individual, no individual, no matter how much they're studied and learned, has a right to decide what that means. It means what it means. It's simply up to everybody to figure out what it means. You can't interpret, you cannot twist its meaning from the original intent. So all we do when we study is try to find out what the original intent is. And here's the secret. Most of that study that will bear fruit, the spiritual fruit of Christ, is not going to teach you something new as much as it's going to have you set down what you already believed was true and just ain't so. So how do you know? What is the rock, that the standard? You know, I told a preacher once what a particular word meant. You know, when it talked about pure religion, it said that you were to take care of the needy of society, the widows and orphans, which are usually the needy of society, because everybody else was taken care of by the family. But widows and orphans, their family was broke down, so they needed help being taken care of. You know, being a widow didn't just mean not having a husband. Being an orphan didn't mean just not having parents. It meant not having family. That's what an orphan meant. And if your family wasn't there to take care of you, you needed somebody else to take care of you, and you would look to the institutions of society to provide for your needs until you were able to stand on your own two feet. And that's what James says is religion. And, of course, that's what religion was then. That's what religion was 200 years ago in America. According to Bovier's Law Dictionary, it was your fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. The performance of that duty. That's what religion was defined as. It wasn't what you think about God. It was, it was the performance of that duty. Threskia in the Greek, that's what it means. The performance of a duty. And false religions are always trying to create duties that really don't provide for the needs of your community. It's about your duty or responsibility to some hierarchical religion. Like, you have to tithe. You have to give them money. You have to go to church on Sunday. Or you have to take off the Sabbath. On this day, they make it a different day than Sunday or a different day than Saturday even. And they'll make up these rules and they'll say you have to do these things, but they'll leave off the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and mercy being taking care of the needy who can't take care of themselves. But in James's statement, 
on this subject, he points out very clearly that pure religion, pure performance of this duty, is to do so unspotted by the world. And I point out to this preacher that the word world there is actually defined, the word Greek word, because there's lots of different Greek words, world is constitutional order or system of government. In other words, you had to take care of the needy without using a governmental agency that exercises authority. You had to do it by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And he says, well, you can't just put definitions on words that you like. And I said, well, I don't know. What do you want to use as a standard? And he said, theirs. And I said, so let's look it up. And so we looked it up in theirs. And theirs definition was constitutional order and system of government. <laughs> so it was there. So that was his standard. He set the standard. I showed him that. And he walked away. Because he was proven that that's his what. James was talking about. But that's not what he wants to do in church. He wants to tell everybody they're just saved because of what they think. They don't have to have to do anything. And that's just insane. It's crazy. And people are giving them money to tell them this. But why? Because they want their ears tickled. And so I come along and say, no, this is not being a Christian. This is not doing what Christ said. You don't really believe in what Christ said. You don't believe in the apostles. You don't believe in the Bible. Because when I show you what it actually is saying, but with your own standards, you don't want to hear it. And you certainly don't want to do it. You want to keep chugging along with what you've been doing. Completely wrong. So anyway, the last show we left off with Samuel, talking about Samuel. And that it was a rejection of God to go and look to men constitutional orders and systems of government that exercise authority one over the other. Jesus repeats that same thing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He appoints the kingdom. He says you're not to be like those other governments. You're to take care of one another because you love one another. You're not to force one another to contribute to your welfare, but you do it out of love. And he's telling you all this. James told you this. Paul tells you this. Jesus tells you this. John the Baptist tells you this. Moses told you this. Abraham was doing this. And we show how Abraham was doing this. But the modern Christians think, oh, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do, do it that way. We, we can do it the way the Pharisees were doing it. And part of that is this translation thing. So when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom, I'm going to tell you the secrets, the mystery of the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven is built and how you interpret the Holy Scriptures. How you do that. I'll give you the secret in the first two minutes when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I said I was going to give you the secret to understanding the Bible, the secret, the mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven, everything within the first few minutes of our return. So now, can I keep my word? <laughs> Will I actually do that? Well, actually, I sent it out to the Pennsylvania group this morning because of a discussion that developed on there, and the secret is found in Matthew sixteen seventeen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now how did his Father 
in heaven revealed to Simon Barjona, who we know as Peter, the information that Simon knew that nobody else seemed to understand or know. How did he do that? How did he get did he did, was it written in scripture? Was it written in a note and passed to him? Did he get it from some pastor? Those things would all be flesh and blood things, physical things that uh, he would be giving to them. And uh, and that is not the way God is going to build his church or to lead you or to show you his ways. How is he going to do it? How is he going to show you his ways? The Father is going to reveal it to you. He's going to reveal it to you in your heart. If you don't have that inner connection with God, you can't, you will not get the Bible. You will not understand it. You'll have a flesh and blood tree of knowledge, pluck the fruits you like the best approach to the kingdom of God and to the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. You will find yourself excluding Christ even from your understanding of the gospel. You will say, Paul had a different gospel. And that's absolutely absurd. And we covered that in one of the last shows that I did on this subject, is that there's one gospel. Uh, Paul was revealing mysteries. Jesus was revealing those same mysteries. He didn't reveal it in his parables. And he explains that to the apostles. And when they say, why do you always talk to them in parables? He says, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries. Talking to Peter, not to Paul. Talking to Peter and the apostles. But it's not given unto them to know. So Jesus was telling them the mysteries on the side. And we see some of those conversations. But when you see the parables that are spoken out to the general public, the mysteries are there. But they're not going to get them because they're only hearing the parable story. And they're going to miss the mystery. Because the only way the mystery really should be revealed unto you is by the Holy Spirit. And we have our campfire talks at some of our gatherings. And we will reveal some of those things. But even when they are revealed to you out of our mouths, and we share some of these mysteries or secrets of the kingdom of God, you're still not going to understand unless you have that revelation. So the key is that revelation. The key to understanding is that divine revelation. Not your personal, private, uh, diverse desire to understand. And that diverse desire to understand, that's going to be part of our Confronting the Beast series. Because, uh, because it's going to deal in prophecies. And everybody wants to know the prophecies because that gives them an edge. In the last show I did, I told you what the edge really is. And I'll tell you again, but not right here. If we read the next verse there, it says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This rock. What rock? Revelation. That's the rock of Revelation. Why is the rock of Revelation? Revelation, that's just what you think in your head, right? How is that a rock? I mean, anybody could think that it was revealed to me that I should be like Jeffrey Dahmer and eat people. Well, is that the revelation of God? No, that's the vain imagination. 
the revelation of God, we have to believe if there is a God and there's a revelation of God, that the God is the same today as he was yesterday. So it's going to be consistent. And so that revelation is a rock. Why is it a rock? Because it brings with it conviction. God is telling you right now in your heart what he wants you to do. Right now, everybody out there listening, God is telling you what he wants you to do. And what he wants you to understand. Can you hear him? Most of you can't. Because you're not still enough. Your brains are going a mile a minute. Your emotions and all the other diverse lusts are in the way. You're not in your heart. You're in your imagination. You're not down there. Remember that heart word? That's one of those Hebrew words has two meanings. Two meanings. You know, you've got the liver has two meanings, so the heart would have two meanings. So what do we mean when we say in your heart? And I'm not going to tell you what the other meaning is. I'll let you go see if you can find it. Use your compass. Use that inner revelation compass to help find it. But that heart where you need to be to hear Christ is the heart of Christ in you, beating in you, convicting you as to what you need to do. But you have to hear it. You have to listen to it. You have to reach out to it. You have to pray to Christ to show you what he wants. First thing you have to do is humble your own heart. Because your heart's full of pride and arrogance and vanity, you're not going to have any room in there to receive Christ and hear what he has to say. You're too busy pumping yourself up. And that pompous heart is what killed many Christians. That was the where the vanity and envy came that perse- many Christians were persecuted. because, And you'll see that amongst your modern socialists. It's, it's amazing, though. There are some people who think they're socialists, but they just haven't connected one of the dots yet. And once they connect that, they will suddenly no longer be socialists. They will be very charitable people, but they, they, there's still a little connecting point, and there's still a little cross-wired there. And actually, I'm thinking of kind of a prominent individual who seems to be very liberal and socialist, but all we have to do is connect these two wires correctly, in his mind, and he will become an advocate of the kingdom. He doesn't know that yet. There's actually some kind of wicked people in government that suddenly they will have those connections made and they will repent and they will be great allies of Christ. But the devil's watching for those people who suddenly make that connection and he'll want to take them out right away. And we've already seen this in history where men who were not really good men very self-serving men. They had certain principles, but all of a sudden they realize that there is a deception to enslave all of the people of the world. And they try to do something about it, and boom, suddenly they die. <laughs> is that a surprise? Because you need to put on the full armor of God, and that is going to bring you to the second part of understanding this mystery. Now, I told you that the mystery is divine revelation. And that's a rock because when you were revealed in that heart where you've gone down, you've humbled your heart, you've admitted, I can't figure it out, so I'm not going to pluck it from the tree of knowledge. It's not going to be my vain imagination that calculates out these answers in prophecy or anything else. When you take on that 
meek, humble heart, accepting the fact that God is the only answer, and He's the only one who has that answer, you've now taken a position where you are now down in your own heart in a way in which you can hear what God has to say. Now you can receive revelation. But when you receive revelation at that level, it's not just an idea, a thought. It's a conviction. And then when you begin to act from that conviction, you begin to clean out the chambers of your heart. You're bringing light into the chambers of your heart. And you're going to see some things about yourself that are not so pleasant. You think Peter saw some things about himself that were not so pleasant when he saw that he had denied Christ three times? How many times have you denied Christ? We do it every day. You do it every day. And you denied Christ. Boy, I tell you, there was some serious soul-searching in his life at at that time. You know, we have movies that portray it, but the fact is, is he's realizing, I was so fervent and I betrayed Christ. I was a coward. I had no courage. In order to obtain the courage of God, you must admit you have no courage. In order to obtain knowledge of God, you must admit you cannot, through your own flesh and blood's quest for knowledge, know God. You can't do it. So how do you do it? How do you get this knowledge of God? How do you draw near God to hear Him clearer? That's been the same for thousands of years. That word draw near is where they get the word sacrifice. When you sacrifice, you draw near God. When you try to sacrifice and you find yourself being selfish, you get to make another choice. Admit you're selfish, see you're selfish, repent of your selfishness, be sorry for your selfishness, and let and wait upon God to fill your selfishness with generosity. He'll give you a denarii, and you can give it to somebody else. And then he'll give you two denarii, and you can give that to somebody else, investing in the kingdom in a righteous way to strengthen the kingdom. He's changing the flow. When we departed from the ways of God in the garden, we had to consume the creation of the world in order to sustain ourselves. We had to live by the sweat of our brow, tilling the soil and getting the food and fruits for our livelihood. We had to do that. We reverse the flow. The flow used to come from the tree of life. Now it comes from the world, the flesh. And unfortunately, sometimes from the devil, who guides us in the wrong direction. Now if we turn around and go back to the way it was meant to be, then that flow has to also reverse. We have to fast. Now, you be careful now when I say that. Don't don't go out there and do one of these stupid 40-day fast things that end up, I know guys have done that, and they've damaged themselves and ended up in a wheelchair. No, that's, that's your will doing that. And that's not what we mean by fasting. We mean fasting from anger, fasting from resentment, fasting from temper tantrums, fasting from trying to manipulate other people, fasting from trying to control other people, fasting from extra comforts by your choice, not willfully. 
sitting down and listening to the Lord, fasting from giving yourself answers and your private interpretations of the Bible and wanting to know so that you would have the power of knowledge. You don't want the power of knowledge. You want the power of God to work through you doing His will, not your own. Anyway, he goes on and he says, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man he was Jesus the anointed. Why? What's the anointed? The Messiah, the Messiah, the King, the rightful King of Judea. In the last shows, this is uh, the 11th hour show, <laughs> coincidentally. If you go back to the 10th hour show and the 9th hour show that we'll have available someday, you'll see what exactly all this means in relationship to your personal quest towards the kingdom of God on earth. Anyway, uh, in the page to verse 11, so we went through Samuel and showing that it was a rejection of God to elect the leader who could exercise authority and fight their battles for them. Saul was kind of the commander-in-chief of Israel at that time. And Israel was a nation. It wasn't a geographical location. They were actually all over the place, but the, the major body of the king and everything was in that geographical location. And in the last show, we talked about the fact that that geographical location has nothing to do with Israel itself. Israel is a nation of people that are letting God rule over them. And when they chose Saul, they were saying, we don't want God to rule over us. We want Saul to rule over us. And Samuel goes to a big, long explanation and explains to them that this guy's going to take and take and take and take. He's going to make his instruments of war. He's going to take your sons away. You're not going to own your land. You're not going to own the milk and honey. Uh, all these things are going to happen to you. And they said, we want a king anyway. And then he says, okay, now, you, now when you cry out to God, he's not going to hear you because you went this way. All the nations of the world have gone that way now. I shouldn't say all the nations. All the governments of the world have gone that way right now. And the people of those governments are the nations of those governments. Now, the nation of God still exists within the church. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the, the church has a separate promise than Israel. No. Not if Jesus was king, which he was. And we went through this in great detail in the show that was recorded yesterday. And uh, we'll make available eventually as a part of this series. That Jesus was king. There's absolutely, there should be absolutely no doubt. It's not even up to interpretation. Highest son of David. Uh, the blessed seed of, uh, of David. The anointed seed of David. This is Christ. Held by king, by the people, by thousands of Jews. Held him as king, accepted him as king on Pentecost. So, where is this? The Jews didn't accept them. Those were Jews. That was the nation. And other people were grafted into that nation. Just like Jesus said. The church is Israel. Stop dividing. They divide the gospel of Jesus from the gospel of Paul. They divide the church from the servants of the kingdom. Which is Israel. The church and Israel are one. 
if there's somebody else coming along and saying that they're Israel and doing contrary to what Christ declared or contrary to what Moses declared, they are not Israel any more than Paris, Texas is Paris, France. Paris, Texas is Paris, Texas. It's not Paris. When people say Paris, they don't think of Paris, Texas unless they're from Paris, Texas. They think Paris, France. And if I say Israel, what do you think? You think some country across the ocean over there in the Middle East? That's just some place called Israel. That's not a nation of God. Now, the amazing thing is, is there's probably people who are part of the nation of God in spirit or in truth or in both that are over there in that UN protectorate nation called Israel. They're probably over there. You know, I don't know any particular ones, but they're probably also in Venezuela and Canada and in South America and China and Guam and all over the place. Because how do you get in Israel? You receive the divine revelation of God in your heart and your mind because you truly submit to Him and don't desire men to rule over you. Now, it's not enough not to desire to have men rule over you. That may be just because you have a rebellious spirit. You have to have the desire that God rule over you. Now, this gets into the metaphysical. Because God is, you know, the spiritual. Truth is spiritual. Salvation is spiritual first. But then it's supposed to be in spirit and truth. And it will be if you let God guide you in the interpretation. In his, see his interpretation. Because it's not really interpreted. His message, his words written directly on your heart and your mind. So anyway, in this article on Diverse Lust, which you can read at preparingyou.com, we go on to say, who should rule over you? Who should rule over your heart? Who should rule over your actions? You or God? Who ruled over the early Christians? Who was their king? What does it say in Acts 17:7? Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus, whose kingdom is not of the constitutional order and system of government of Rome, which is what Jesus said to Pilate, and Pilate agreed and was amazed and washed his hands of the case. Who said he was the rightful heir of the throne of David? Matthew 21, 9. And the multitudes that went before and followed, saying, Hosanna, highest to the son of David, highest son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest. With palm branches, this is the way they greeted the king. For years, Hyrcanus, others were greeted with palm branches. It is the tradition in Luke twenty-three twenty-eight, And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And you say the Jews didn't accept him because he was crucified. Well, thousands accepted him on Pentecost and went all over the world preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And that was Israel, the place where God prevails. That's what Israel is. I know this is really hard for a lot of people to accept because they invested so much in the idea that Israel is over there. And, you know, I mean, the people who hate Zionists and 
they maybe even hate Jews in general or whatever. You know, they'll 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 love what I'm saying. <laughs> that that's not Israel over there. But that's not my point. I have no interest in hate or resenting or anti-Semitic feelings or emotions. I'm just saying that the place where God prevails is in your heart when you let God in there, and that's what makes you Israel. When your conversation, your citizenship on this planet is based upon the leading of that Holy Spirit. And what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Now, if you bound yourself on earth, covenants of the God shows you, you know, dozens of different ways you can do that. You must honor what you've done. But if you begin to walk daily, legally, in the ways of Christ, doing what Christ said to do and what the early church do, sacrificing for one another out of love, there will come a day when you will be allowed to opt out of those bonds. They will cast you out. And you will need the protection of the Holy Spirit at that time. You won't need an insight into revelation and, and prophecy or any of that stuff. You will need moment-by-moment guidance in the Holy Spirit. This is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And they come to those who hear his voice. And his voice is a still, small voice. You better shut up and listen really closely. (laughs) Otherwise, you're not going to hear it. And that means you have to quiet those diverse lusts because they get in the way of you hearing the ways of Christ. So we're still on this theme in show 11 here and the 11th hour. And we will get to the point where we're we're going to be uh, hearing this in a, a way that it's going to be life or death. And we need to choose life. And the Bible goes and tells us, you know, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. But they also talks about the fact that you will be entangled in the bondage of the world because of covetousness. And so, that means you can untangle yourself from that bondage by the reverse of covetousness. And we'll talk about that more next time on Keys to the Kingdom. And give you some more ideas and finish out this this series on diverse lusts. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to be talking again about this diverse lust. And I'm looking at all my buttons to make sure everything is running. (laughs) But uh, anyway, in the last show we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ was actually a king of the Jews. And the Jews accepted him. So anybody who tells you the Jews didn't accept Jesus, that's ridiculous. There were Jews who didn't, and there were Jews who did. Thousands did, thousands didn't. And the reality of those that did were Israel. They were the kingdom of Judah. And many of the lost tribe people eventually accepted Christ. And for a thousand years, they lived without kings, for the most part, kings that could exercise authority. They often had men that would be referred to as kings, but uh, I give a very interesting story that I, I gleaned from ancient documents. Uh, uh, around 600, 700 A.D., there was this huge march of men from in Europe uh, moving towards a castle of a guy who said he was king over all the villages nearby and the towns nearby and the district nearby. And he was oppressing the people under his exercising authority. And... This army just appeared out of nowhere, coming from all these different directions. They saw them coming. They knew they were coming. And they sent out emissaries to meet the army. And the emissary came back and said he was unable to negotiate a peace, and they were still coming. And he says, why? Didn't you talk to their king? And he says, well, they they say they are all kings. <laughs> they have no king. And, of course, you know, when I was studying history of the uh, Teutons, I discovered that there was this Artemis, uh, and who was also known as Herman the German, and he was an exchange student to Rome and, and knew Roman tactics, military tactics, and he switched sides. He was going to help the Germans because he was originally a German, uh, a Teuton, and of the Germanic tribes. And he says, well, this is what they're going to do, and this is what we need to do. And he helped organize these... Uh, Teutons to fight the well-equipped, well-trained centurions who were coming. And the centurions outnumbered the Teutons. And now I say he helped organize them. I say he helped organize them because they were really extremely well-organized already. They were organized by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That was the basic foundational structure of all free governments throughout the history of mankind. And you, of course, studied that in great depth in your public schools. Uh, they did teach you about that. Oh, they didn't teach you about that in your public schools. I uh, wonder why that. They, they didn't teach you the major, consistent form and structure of free governments. They didn't tell you anything about that in your public education courses. They must have taken that out of history because it is the most predominant form of government. And certainly the only successful form of self-government recorded in man's history. But it is the most predominant form of government throughout man's history. This this modern dependence on centralized government is really an aberration. And it's pervasive today, but it has not been pervasive throughout society, throughout the history of mankind. So anyway, I was being a little sarcastic there if you didn't catch that, but... The reality is, is that he helped organize this group to fight the Romans in a particular way that was going to be very successful and was very successful. But it didn't prove that you were to get a lot of spoils because they lost a lot of the spoils in the way they attacked the Roman army. But they defeated the Roman army to the man. There was nothing left. 
by the time they were done. The entire 15,000 man army of the Romans was completely decimated out of existence. And they did get some spoils from that, but they lost a lot because the the way in which they knew they had to attack. Now, the next time uh, he led them against the Romans, he changed his tactics because he wanted the spoils, because he wanted them for himself. And they lost lots of men. They, they were successful, but it was at a great cost. And then he tried to set himself up as an emperor of the Teutons. And eventually his own family beheaded him saying, and put his head on a spike and said, it is not that we do not want a Roman emperor, it is that we do not want an emperor at all. They had a different form of government. It was highly successful, but it's only really successful with men that are full of virtues, and there's lots of different virtues. And of course they were strong in some and weak in others, and so it didn't work forever. But the Romans had a real hard time conquering them. And this is the same reason why they had a hard time in Scotland and Ireland and and Wales, is because these people had this other form of self-government that made them a strong people. It's why Israel was so strong. And if Jesus was king of the Jews and the church was still claiming Jesus as their king, and they were functioning as a self-government, Operating, though, not with the system of force that you see in Rome and, and Canada and the United States and England and, and all these nations today, but they were operating according to the perfect law of liberty, and you taxed yourself to support the government. And all the power of choice as to what you would do and participate in in that government would remain within your family, which is what these voluntary governments uh, and how they operate then the church was Israel and had the responsibility of government and had to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity rather than force. So the daily bread was distributed by the church, and we see that in 150 A.D., and that's how it functioned. And God heard their prayers and made them a successful people. People don't understand that. And and so I wrote a book so that they understand a little bit more about what is God's government, what God's government doesn't look like. And, of course, thy kingdom come is one of them. But the one I mention here on this page is the higher liberty, this perfect law of liberty, this higher liberty, this power of authority in a free government is with the people. And the only thing you give to your ministers is sufficient funds to fulfill the tasks which you think need to be done. And if he doesn't do a good job, you give it to a different minister next week. And you're amazed that that if you are virtuous people and God is in your heart, you will be a successful people, even during very hard times, even in very difficult times, you will be a very successful people. And so anyway... That's more study. And on this page now, I've added some... uh, I I was interviewed at the University of Northern Colorado. And there's... I think there's 10 parts or 8 parts to that interview. So it's about 60 to 80 minutes long altogether. But they're they're broke up into 5 and 10 minute segments. And you can... um, You can listen to those on that website at preparingyou.com, uh, Davar Slus, and we'll be adding audios, more audios. We already have some audios up 
that are explaining a lot of this. But now we're down into a section that where I'm talking about these false do-nothing Christians who say, oh, you don't have to do any works, who do not know the gospel, God nor Christ, use verses like Acts 3, 19, 21, that talk about those who repent, but they have not repented themselves, but are living like the Pharisees because they're false preachers are not telling them the whole truth. And then they go on, therefore they are not converted, nor are their sins blotted out, because like Cain, they have gone out of the presence of God. They claim Christ, but they're actually workers of iniquity, and Christ talks a great deal about that in his own. These false ministers are not his holy prophets, and they're not his holy church, and they are actually leading the people astray. But many of them talk about prophecy, and again, we'll be addressing that in an upcoming series, upcoming series on um, on uh, confronting the beast. Because we we're not just talking. Now we talked earlier in the previous show about the secret of understanding the gospel is not in reading the Bible, although you may read the Bible. But if you don't have this secret, reading the Bible will not do you any good. If you have this secret, reading the Bible will be a great tool in inspiring that revelation. But the key is that revelation. Now, how do you get closer to that revelation? Is that you have to get closer to God. to hear Him because He has a still, small voice. You have to get closer to Him. You have to draw near Him. And one of the ways the Bible has always said to draw near Him was through sacrifice. And now, sacrifice doesn't mean just cutters who cut themselves. <laughs> they're sacrificing, but they're not drawing near God. They're actually drawing near the other side. <laughs> they're drawing away from God. And they're being pulled that way, and they become given over to a mind that makes them think that this is sometime helping them. We can help them come back away from that if they really want. But the one who really helps them is God himself. But these false Christians are talking about this dispensation of grace of God. And they've created this whole eschatology about it. Now, there is a dispensation of grace. And, the, and you aren't saved by works. I agree with all that. But what that looks like, these modern Christians are falsely interpreting. They're thinking that you can keep on going sinning. You can live like the Pharisees. You can make the word of God to none effect. You can do all these things. But if you say in your head that you believe in Jesus Christ, you literally, what they're saying is they literally are saving themselves by their thoughts. Their mind can keep them well. Their mind can set them free. They don't have to be doers of the word. They don't have to really receive Christ in the lower platform of their heart. They just have to do it up in their head, and then they're automatically saved. They've saved themselves by their imagination. And it's a vain imagination because... What they're thinking is not showing that fruit of repentance. So anyway, on this page, we go through a, a lot of things. And I, I've got lots of footnotes in there. Acts three nineteen to 21 is, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. You don't convert yourself. You are converted. When the prodigal son returned, he came back to serve. He didn't do any serving, but he was forgiven. But what do you think happened the next day? If the next day when he got up, he says, well, I don't really want to do what my dad wants to do. I'm back. He's forgiven me. I can just go gambling this afternoon instead of fixing the fence on the back 40. Well, then his forgiveness is going to be gone. 
He's going back to his old ways. And Jesus warns when he casts out demons that it will be worse with you if you do not change. So it says, repent ye therefore and be converted. If you do not allow yourself to be converted, if you don't start acting upon the revelations that you receive, acting in righteousness, if you don't start that, you're going to be just as bad off and even worse off than you were before. And this is what's happening with many of those modern Christians who say they've accepted Jesus, but they're not really changing. And once you begin to understand that Jesus Christ was king, the Jews did accept him, they formed another government that the decrees of Christ were listened to and followed, and they were in Ephesus, and they were in Corinth, and and they were in all the places that Paul went, preaching the gospel of Christ, which we talked about in previous shows, that's who uh, Paul was talking to when he talks about brethren and believers, the people who are actually being converted and being perfected by their works, which Paul says, that your sins may be blotted out, that your sins may be blotted out, may be blotted, may be blotted out. But if you won't be converted, if you will not change your ways, you haven't really repented. You're just talking. And Jesus gives you a whole parable about this. It's not a mystery, and I'm just explaining it. Two sons. One says, I'm going to go do it. I believe. But he doesn't. Another one who says, I don't believe. But then he thinks, I've got to go do it. I've got to go do it. I'm just convicted. It's just in my heart. I've got to go do it. So which one is the son? The one he said but didn't do or the one who did do? Well, there you go. So you have to be converted. You have to change your ways. And, you know, I also talk about, you know, politics and stuff like that. I don't promote politics. I'm apolitical as far as the politics of the world. That's not my business. But, you know, I talk about it in order to use it as an example that the politics of the world you know, that is beckoning you, like if you change your leader here, suddenly you will be saved. You know, but that's not the case. Unless you change, you're not going to be saved. You, I don't care who you elect, he'll go nuts and do crazy things. <laughs> he'll, do, he'll deliver you just the same as the other guy. Now, I mean, I'm not telling you not to go out and vote or anything, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about this other government, this other form of government that needs to be written in your heart and your mind by God and you need to be acting upon so that you may be converted and perfected in your faith. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. There's not anything new. Revealing the mystery doesn't make it new. This is he's telling you the details. He's explaining the connections. And we've done that in our in in different quantum shows, what we call quantum or string theory shows. We we show you the spiritual connection, and we're going to show have to show you that in the series on confronting the beast, because 
If you don't make those connections and, and you try to confront the beast, he's, you're going to be eaten up. You need that, those connections, those powerful spiritual connections. How do you get them? How do you make them? Well, again, go back to repent ye therefore and be converted. You can't change yourself. You have to be changed. What you can do is alter the direction you choose to go in. Turn around and face the other way. You have to have not the very lusts of the world, but the lust of righteousness. Not for yourself. Because remember, part of the reason you're in the problem you're in is because you started doing everything for yourself. But you have to start doing for others. You have to start serving others. This is why Christ came to serve. And this is why he tells you what is better, to be served or to serve others. This will draw you near. This is a secret. This is part of the mystery. That when you begin to seek to serve others rather than yourself and serve them in righteousness in a way that strengthens them, you will not be converted. You will not be changed. Because in stepping down or trying to step down to that place of action out of love, you're going to come face to face with the amounts and elements of not love in you. What are those elements where love doesn't exist in you? Those empty, dark recesses of your own heart. And Jesus talks about them. Now think of yourself as this hollow cavity, this empty temple. And it's real dark in there. There's no electric lights or anything. And in there, you bring the light of Christ and you see something about yourself that you're willing to see that you're vain or whatever it is, that you've been arrogant, that you've been selfish, and you see that and you don't want to be that way. You're fasting from that arrogance. Okay, now you have a little light. It's still, it's a huge room. That light doesn't even go out to the walls. Then there's these little chambers, mini mansions in your heart. And you've got to go into each one and say, who's in here? And there's some beasties in there. <laughs> there's some evil lurking about in the darkness of your heart. And we've talked about how that works spiritually in the spiritual realm. How if you do something evil, judge, injure, be cruel, be selfish with somebody, and you know it was, but you don't want to admit it, So you hide from that knowledge. You hide that knowledge from your conscious mind, from the screen. You don't want to play that back on the screen of your mind. It's there. It's in you. But you don't want to do that. So now that creates a shadow in your heart, a dark place in your heart, a dark room in your mind that you don't go in. You don't want to look at. You don't want to see what's in there. Well, that's a great habitation for influence from the world. Both the fact that you don't really go in there and look at yourself as you really are and see yourself and confess your sins openly to yourself. But you have created a habitation for demons to influence you. To make it so that when you're discussing something, you will not understand important elements of the discussion because the only place you could get the understanding is to go into that part of your brain where you have hidden yourself from because that's where you store this information about things that you've done. So if you have a bad relationship with a person, you probably will not be able to sit down and reason with them until you are willing to see 
you're part of that bad relation. Your judgment in that relationship. Your unrighteous, unmerciful, selfish judgment in that relationship. You will not be able to reason with that person unless they change to something else and then you'll be able to reason with to whatever they change to. They have to become like you. They have to become angry like you. This is why people who are full of anger want to make you angry. Because then they can communicate with you. But they can't communicate with you if you're standing in love and they're standing in hate. What they were going to want to do is get rid of you. They want to burn you at the stake. They want to consume you. They want to throw you in a pit. They want you run out of town. They can't stand your presence. They have to get rid of you. And what's your defense? You need to put on the full armor of God. If you want to walk the ways of Christ, don't walk them halfway. When you turn around and start going the path of Christ, don't look back. Go all the way. Get that whole armor on in every aspect of your life. Say, oh, I like some of the stuff that Brother Gregory says, but... uh, you know, I don't want to mess with congregations. You know, I don't, people are, they just, they just, I'm just so impatient with people. I just don't want to have anything to do with them. Big mistake, folks. Because you don't have the full armor. Full armor means you got to love one another. you got to care. you got to have patience. you have to be long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. I mean, like, would you go into battle with a blunt sword? If the tip was broke off your sword and you had to go into battle the next day, don't you think you'd take that down to a blacksmith and get that tip put back on there? If the handle's loose, don't you think, let's get this handle fixed before the battle begins? This is what you need. This is why you need congregations. Because you're going to have all kinds of testing of the Spirit going on in those congregations, forming a network of charity. You need to be giving regularly within your network, within your local congregation. And that local congregation needs to be putting those funds to work somehow, somewhere. And when hard times come, they can change the direction of those funds. You know, right now, maybe they should be advertising to build more congregations for other places. You know, don't always do things for your local congregation. You should be equally doing things for your neighboring congregations. You see, that's the precept. And people say, well, I don't want to give. I don't, you know, I would rather buy. No. No. Fast from that selfishness. Give. Give locally. Give consistently. I mean, do you think you could get by with your heart only beating five days a week? <laughs> it's not going to work that way. you got to beat consistently. And I tell you, when you start doing that in love, now you're going to see occasionally that you're doing it out of fear. And this is one of the things we're going to have to talk about in the prophecy series, is when you're moving out of fear and anxiety and frustration, and when you're moving out of love. Because if you're not moving out of love, you're blocking the light of Christ in your own heart. You're creating a dark spot. You're feeding that dark spot, and you're feeding whatever's in it. And it will lead you astray. It will undermine. And if you really get close to the truth, it will pull the rug out from underneath you. It will destroy your family. You watch. You watch for that anger and and that impatience in your heart, in your mind. 
And it, uh, people were talking about a lot of things coming up soon. Um, and they, there was somebody talking about blood moons. I won't get into the details. I'll save that for that series. But, uh, you know, we have to be very careful. Very careful. Anyway, on the webpage at Diverse Less, we have several other articles, Golden Calf, uh, not articles, but uh, videos, Golden Calf, Mammon, Baptism, One Purse. You, you go through those and you're going to see, we're going to be laying chunks of puzzles, puzzle pieces of the puzzle that have already been put together. And this you got a giant, you know, one million piece puzzle <laughs> we're trying to put together. And, you know, you see all the pieces in a big pile and you have no idea what the picture is. But if you put, you know, a chunk of pieces together about what was going on with the golden calf. What is mammon? What was the baptism of Christ? What was the baptism of Herod? And how did it make a difference? What does it mean the way of, you know, one purse runs towards evil and death? What does that mean? And so we talk about these things. These are pieces of the puzzles. And they're put together so that you have the chunks of this together. And those chunks will start forming a, a clearer and clearer image. But then what you see, again, remember, you have to go out and use that accordingly. Uh, these false believers that we still pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority um, are not willing to forgive. And this is a really important thing. In order for them to obtain forgiveness, they must forgive. If you will not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Now, you're all in debt, and debt and forgiveness are one and the same. Forgive us our debtors. Forgive us our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're going to explain what that means when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after this brief break. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're talking about forgiveness, so we know that Christ said, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. And we know that forgiveness and debt are hand in hand. There was a whole long parable about a servant who was forgiven debt, forgiveness, there you go, debt, forgiveness, and then he went out and was not forgiving debt, was actually demanding payment from others. And he was eventually grabbed up and cast into a dungeon or something of some form because of his unforgiveness, because he was not righteous in any way. Well, now you look at the whole world as in debt. Every single country is operating in the red. And this is a manifestation of a spiritual reality. So when I talk about some of these things in the physical realm, you want to understand that you cannot just change the physical realm without being changed in the spiritual realm. And if you are changed in the spiritual realm, changing the physical realm becomes easy because spirit is master of who you are. The spirit that dwelleth in you is the master of who That's how you are converted. Is you have to make room in your heart for Christ to live in you and act according to the guidance of that spirit and then you will be converted. And, and you will receive the armor of God. If you do not make a place in your heart for Christ and the Holy Spirit, then you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and there's nothing I can tell you that will save you. 
and get, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen in the future with prophecy and what this, that, and the other thing, and it won't do you any good because you haven't changed in the spirit. And you must change in the spirit. And then you actually even, when I said originally, is you have to make room for the Holy Spirit because you cannot conjure up the Holy Spirit. You cannot make it come where you want it to be. It listeth where it will. That's what they're telling you. These are principles. And they apply. And you see, what they do, most of these preachers are giving you bits and pieces to conform you to their personal eschatology. That's what all these religions and denominations are all about. Very easy to take all my writings and all of our radio programs and start, I don't know if it'd be easy because there's a lot of stuff to cover there, but, and create a new religion. You know, the gospel, my gospel, according to Brother Gregory. (laughs) That's not where we want to go. We want to go to the gospel of Christ. And all I'm doing is showing you that what they're telling you doesn't fit what Christ said. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. (laughs) I'm pulling from the uh, that famous trial. I won't even go and name the name. But anyway. If it doesn't fit, you must quit following that preacher. And it doesn't fit. If he tells you that uh, the Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ, that don't fit. It don't fit. Period. Because what were all those guys on Pentecost? What were all those guys who held him as the highest son of David? What were all the apostles and the people in Ephesus and everywhere else Doing when they said, these are the ones that say there is another king. Were those not Jews? And they accepted him. And they said he was king. And when Every time you see the word Christ, that means Messiah, anointed. That's what you call the king, anointed. President-elect, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what it was. That's why governments gave him a hard time. They still paid the imposed taxes and things like that, but they weren't part of that social welfare system run through the temples of Rome. The 501c3 temples of Rome. (laughs) It wasn't just the 501c3 temples of Rome. I mean, you could be a registered religion in Rome, and then you weren't a foreign religion. And you could build your own temple, and that was fine. That's why they had so many different temples. Saturn was one of those but Saturn was actually a government building. And, and it was it would hold things like your... That's where you registered your birth certificates. So that you would know when you were eligible for your benefits. But their system of benefit had moved from what it had once been in Rome to a system of compelled offerings. And that makes the word of God to none effect. So now, you've been a member of a similar system of Corbin, a similar social welfare system for some of you, for 30, 40 years. And now you're eligible. You're 65. I'm 65 or over. And I would be eligible for those benefits. And I paid in enough to be eligible for those benefits. And I could start collecting those benefits. Except, as a minister of Christ, I had to give up my rights to those benefits. Every minister of Christ, every ordained minister of Christ has to give up their right to entitlements. They have to, because Christ said so. If they tell you, no, we don't have to, to be ordained ministers of Christ, that doesn't fit. 
<laughs> what is that? You have to give up all your property rights. You have no, and actually those benefits aren't even property rights, but you have to give up right to those. Now, the people don't have to give them up. But as they begin to become convicted of what those systems are based on, the one purse, and you can go back and listen to the video on one purse, then you're going to say, you know, I should never even join this system. I shouldn't have been. It was voluntary. It was voluntary. I didn't even know that. And the reality is, is that, but now you're in it. Now you have to turn around and start going the other way and edifying the kingdom in your life. Like the prodigal son, who realized, I screwed up. I'm now, I'm feeding the pigs. I'm working day and night, and I'm hardly getting anything back. And the whole system is about to collapse. This pig farmer, you know, his pigs are all becoming sterile because they're all eating GMO grains. (laughs) And he's going to go out of business. I should have stayed with my dad. I'm going to go back to my daddy's house. And, but I don't even deserve to go back. Right. Okay, got it. Write it down. I I tell you, I'll go back to my daddy's house and I'll offer to be a servant. That's what the prodigal son's story is telling you. That fits. That's where you're at. So you have to gather together in congregation, start serving one another. And God will count that effort as righteousness if it's sincere. And he will give you more blessings. He will reveal more of the mysteries of the kingdom through revelation. And iron will sharpen iron. And that's the way it works. That's the way the kingdom works. That's the way back to the kingdom of God. Where God is your king and ruler. And you're going to need that. Because Christ knows the secret of walking on water. (laughs) And if you're going to be sailing in the Titanic, which is where you're at right now, full steam ahead, headed for the iceberg... With the Federal Reserve at the helm. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be the United States government. I'm sure you'll find the same thing going on in all the others. I don't want to pick on the poor United States. I mean, it is the poorest nation in the world. Because it's the most in debt. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's not even up to broke yet. So, yeah, it's really poor. And it's becoming one of the less free nations in the world. But, but again, I don't want to pick on it because I think that some of the greatest people in the world happen to be located in America right now. And I also think some of the most evil people in the world are also located in America right now. And I'm not alone in that opinion. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It matters what you're doing. It matters what direction you're going in. And so you say, well, they owe me. I paid in. So where was charity? All these free societies operated by charity, free will offerings. And they paid in. Did they get to force their children and grandchildren to take care of them? No, they had to take care of them out of free will offerings too. Now, you haven't been using free will offerings. You need to start going back to that. You need to start, and the sooner the better. Start heading back. Don't put that off. Say, well, you know, I'm going to keep feeding pigs here for a little while longer. Don't start heading back. And while you head back, you're going to have to be faithful to the unrighteous man. Unless you become one of those ordained ministers, then you don't have any rights over there anymore to any of those benefits. And you're going to have to go it alone. 
But don't try to become a minister to get out of something. Try to become a minister to become a part of something that you actually believe in, if that's your calling. Because some of you aren't called to be ministers, you know, ordained ministers of the church. You're not called like the Levites out of the system. Everybody's kind of called, but the Levites had a particular spiritual calling come out, and they did. And the apostles had a spiritual calling, and they had to give up their personal estates, like Christ said, and own all things in common in order to form that government of God that was going to operate by the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity. So that when the people decided to get baptized, which was literally opting out of one system, system set up by Herod, and opting into system set up by Christ, they had there were people already there operating that system. And it was it was stumbling and, and faltering right away at the beginning. And so you see in Acts six where they say the daily administration being neglected. And they came up with another way. And we already know what that other way is. But we don't have enough people that are now, we haven't had our Pentecost yet. And it could come any day now. So those of you who are hearing now and want to become a part of this, I just had a call a little bit ago. Actually, we had a couple calls here, but I don't have anybody answering the phone, so stop calling the church number. Because <laughs> so, everybody's left but me. And... I can't answer your call until after we're done with the broadcast. So uh, unless if you've got the secret number for the broadcast, then I can take your call on the air. But uh, anyway, uh, the reality is is that we have to forgive. And say, okay, I paid in all those years. You owe me nothing. You owe me, and I'm talking about the ordained minister now. If you can afford to say, I'm not going to take any benefits from Social Security, and you're you're eligible. Great. But I don't want anybody starving to death. I don't want anybody crippling themselves so that they can say, I gave it up, but my family all starved to death because he who doesn't supply, provide for his family is worse than an infidel. And um, I think it was an infidel. Was it a heathen? Was it an infidel? I can't remember the quote now. But anyway, uh, it's bad. So the point is, is that you need to start building that alternative system. And we see elements of that in these charities that are starting to get want to get back to the 1920s when people uh, actually took care of one another and they've got that, was it Mercury One that Beck created? And it's really kind of a, a worthwhile attempt. But it's not quite kingdom. Uh, the Spirit shows an effort that they're trying to go in a particular direction. But they need a little bit more advice because they're... They they need to take more steps in that direction. And, and what we show in the book, That Kingdom Come, the Free Church Report, is what those steps could look like now. And we have the minister's manual. You can't just get that downloaded. And uh, we don't even sell that. We want to see what you're doing. And there's a lot more that we could share with you and a lot more we could do. If you guys would start coming together and forming these congregations of record and regularly sponsoring them, and they, working together with the other ministers, start doing what the early church was doing, there's a great many ways and tools that we could use to manifest that spirit worthy of repentance to become that free government of God. And you don't you don't get the freedom first, and you don't get freedom at all without taking back responsibilities. 
but you have to repent and reverse the way you've been doing things and start doing them the righteous way. And this is what it's all about. Now, in this uh, page on diverse lust, like I said, I had a number of the pieces of the puzzle laid out in um, these uh, videos. And you can watch them. And you can actually watch them all if you type in uh, video up there. You'll find lots of videos to watch. And we're going to have more and more audios. And we're trying to archive them in a way where they're all based on subject line. And we need more workers to do it because everybody's working here full time. But anyway, the false believers still pray to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And they don't want to forgive their neighbor's debt. They still want their benefits. And even though they know the system is failing and already failed and going to fail even worse and and it's bringing about inflation and all that stuff, they keep persisting and they kind of keep doing the same thing hoping for a different result. You have to do something different. And so they also use quotes, these false Christians also use quotes like we see in Colossians 2, 13, 14, uh, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to those people who have already repented and headed back to be servants in their father's house. They haven't done any work necessarily at that point, but they've actually headed in that direction. Your modern Christian thinks, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go back to my father's house to be, uh, I can stay wallowing in the pigmire and all my sins are tranced out because I'm forgiven because I thought a thought. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't fit. Get away from the quit that kind of goofy stuff. Blotting out the handwritten ordinances that was against us. What were those? Those were all the statutes and regulations. People tell me, oh, we're not under the law anymore. They're under a million laws. They are again entangled in the bondage of the world. What world? The constitutional order and systems of governments of men where they have elected Sauls and commanders and chiefs and, and rulers over themselves and over their neighbors in one per systems that make the word of God to none effect. They're under the law again. They're just not under God's law at all. They've gone under other men. And the guys who say, Oh, but we've always been under governments, uh, Moses and all the, blah, blah, blah. why aren't you under Christ? Why aren't you under the government of the church? Knowing full well that the church cannot exercise authority. Because if you were under such a government, you would be in a republic where the leaders were titular. They had no power over you. That's called a free government. You would be the government of the people for the people and by the people if that were the case. Anyway, you're doing contrary to the ways of Christ. And your ordinances, your million ordinances that you have, including the one in Title 42, Section 666, that says you can't get a business license, marriage license, driver's license, or any other kind of license without the mark of the government, the number of the government, the Social Security number. You have to have that. Title 42, Section 666. Go look it up. I didn't number it. They numbered it. You have to have that. And we'll talk about that in our detailed study of the Mark of the Beast in the confrontation and confronting the beast. But you're going to be surprised where some of you will be surprised where we go in that series. 
And maybe by the time you hear this, for some of you, if you hear it a long time from now, uh, this is a live show that goes out and then it's eventually uh, made available to other people uh, on the station. And eventually we'll put them in series and add them to web pages and everything. And the, but, of course, so we'll be making new shows and taking you a step farther towards the kingdom. But we want you to use these as learning tools, those of you who are listening live or getting it live. And we recommend that you join the Living Network so that you can make it live in your life because you have to act upon what you learn. Anyway, these false Christians like to excuse their continued policy of sin and coveting their neighbor's goods through these systems of these men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority with statements like, the fact is that we are all sinners and none of us measure up to God's holy and perfect standards. Only by believing the gospel can we be saved and have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But you have to really believe the real gospel. And these guys are not doing it. Because what they're doing doesn't fit to what the early church was doing. They're just simply not doing what the early church did. But they do not know the gospel, I go on to say, nor Christ, nor God, nor Moses, nor any of these things. And they remain workers of iniquity rather than seekers of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They don't go back to be servants in their father's house. Therefore, they, as prodigal sons, are not forgiven because they will not forgive. And they are not doers of the word. They are making the word of God to none effect. So I have a little section on bad news, and I got Romans 3.23 here. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, and he goes on to say, this is stuff that he, he puts in. Yeah, all have sinned. So, does that mean that Christ died so that you can continue to sin? And that you can continue to go away from His presence and out of His way? Jesus says the way is narrow. Is strive. You know, he didn't, he didn't, Paul goes and tells you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and if anybody does these things, don't have anything to do with it. So you're telling me that you can do this, and 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 you're still saved? And you're still brethren? No. He's saying if you don't have these principles manifested in your life, you're not showing me worthy of repentance. You haven't repented. You don't really believe in God. And you are not saved. Romans three nineteen twenty one. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty. This is in Romans. They're talking about do the, the, the new members of Judea, the citizens of Judea, the new members of the citizenship of Judea under the King Jesus Christ, do they also have to get circumcised? Because these are, these are theocratic governments. And if you profess Christ, you are now in his government. This is why Paul is getting audiences with kings. Because he's the head of a government. He's one of the apostles of the government. There were a lot of apostles other than the first original 12. The 120 in the upper room, as an example. They almost all became what we call apostles, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And they were running a government. 
But do they have to get circumcised? That's not part of that government. They could certainly do that. He's, he was comparing the pharisaical statutory laws they were trying to impose on the Romans. And he's saying, look, that's not the key. The key is, are you living by faith, open charity? Are you living by the perfect law of liberty? If you don't have charity, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. So we're going to emphasize the charity. And those are the ones he's calling brethren, the ones that are taking care of one another so that no Roman Christian had to go get free bread at the Temple of Saturn and flash his birth certificate so that he could obtain it, that benefit, or the little things they had the equivalent to our EBT cards. It was a little coin that you had to give. I forget the name of it, but I've got a picture of it on the web there somewhere. But anyway, they're, they're taking these these quotes out of the context of what the early church was doing. And most of them have no idea what the early church was doing. And that's the blame of the ministers. Now, I admit that the ministers were deceived too. But if once they're confronted with these facts, they should be able to figure this out. Because this is the gospel. And Revelation should show them. And some of you are awakening to this. Now you must act so that you be converted. And so the next section that we're going to do on this down towards the end is the good news. And then we have a little section on or it's actually a pretty big section on Facebook with lots of quotes and we'll we'll address all that on the next keys of the kingdom on this last of the diverse lust sections. Till then may peace be upon your house and God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.